give you thanks for the word. We thank you for your amazing grace that continually leads us, Lord, from strength to strength, from glory to glory. We give you praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I just have a couple of words I want to share before I get into the word. Um, I, I felt that the Lord impress on me this week that he, he wants us to discern the seasons that we're in. Learning to discern seasons. How many of you know life is full of seasons? And do you know that one season is intended to prepare you for the next season? God never intended for you to stay in this season where you're at forever. In fact, the Lord gave me a picture, ironically, in the summer, he gave me a picture of a wintertime. And I used to go and help my grandfather change sprinklers when I was seven, eight, nine years of age in his farm. And uh, he used to trim these fruit trees in the fall and in the winter. And my, my granddad would trim those trees down to where they were almost bare naked. And I thought he was killing the tree. I mean, I thought, Grandpa, you're going to kill that poor tree. He was trimming those limbs. And he says, if we don't remove the dead branches, new growth will not come. Now, I didn't understand anything about trees. All I knew is it was getting a major haircut. I used to call trees a haircut. Because, I mean, they were trimmed out. But you know what he was doing? He knew that spring was coming. He knew that summer was coming. And I just felt like I had a word this morning for someone that's been in a cold, dark winter. Your springtime is coming. Your springtime is coming. You have been trimmed back. And it seems, you know what, in, this, in the wintertime, there is no outward fruit but the roots go deep in winter while the outward looks very stagnant and dead. And I just felt like the Lord say, we need to understand to discern the season that it's not permanent. God is bringing us through. Amen? Amen. I just wanted to say something to Sarah Horn's daughter over here. Praise God. I know you're not looking for this, but I, I, I just felt this word was for you. When I was in worship this morning, I felt like the Lord just said, you have a warrior's spirit. Uh, there's, a, there's a woman in the book of Judges. Her name was Deborah. She was one of the judges and leaders in Israel. And uh, she was kind of the individual that she kind of stepped up to uh, lead and she didn't want to do that. She says, well, if I do this, what will you men think? All you men who have been kind of cowards will begin to feel bad if God begins to bless me as a woman. Well, guess what? None of the men stepped up. She stepped up. God blessed her. God brought great victories through her, Deborah, as a major warrior. And uh, everyone was shocked. I, I just felt like the Lord was saying, there are some, that you're in a season, but God is preparing you for major breakthrough and victory. And uh, you need to realize two things. God is with you. Number two, you're not alone. You're not alone in what you're going through. And 
But I'm just saying it's a season, but God is actually bringing you through to bring you out. And then your life is going to be like one big net, and others are going to follow you. And uh, I just wanted to share that with you. So keep singing in your bedroom. Keep singing in the shower. Keep singing. I just felt like Lord said, tell her to keep singing. Amen. I know you're just saying, Pastor Ray, that's just not my nature. But you know, God loves to take that which is not, call those things that is not, and to bring it out of his miraculous. And here's why he does that, is because it's, it's so you realize that it, it couldn't have been you anyway. It's all about him. He does things that we can't do. Amen? Well, if we could take our Bibles, I want to just go ahead and start reading in John chapter 4. I want to talk about kingdom shifts. How many of you have ever gone through a shift? How many of you have ever owned a stick shift car? How many of you have ever had a problem shifting that shift in your car? Ever got stuck in a particular gear? I've been stuck in gears before, but... God wants to increase, bring increase as we move through these different shifts. But this is an interesting shift. And I want to start in chapter 4, verse 3. And he, verse 3, he left Jesus here, left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, note this, Jesus therefore being weary, he's tired, he's exhausted, from his journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask, me, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock? Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have well said you have no husband, for you have indeed five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. 
in that you have truly spoken. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I want to end right there on this text, on this content. This is a a familiar, very popular passage in the Bible. But Jesus' approach in this situation was not just simply crossing lines of sexism or racism, but he was crossing into a complete different culture. And uh, how many of you believe God wants us to reach our culture around here? I, uh, I had a unique, interesting situation several years ago in this church. There was a very, uh, we had a, uh, what I would call a e- evangelist radio celebrity come to this church. He actually did not come into the service, but he was waiting at the end of a Sunday morning service. And he came, and uh, I, I had no idea this man. He, he was literally a radio celebrity, a well-known nationwide radio celebrity that preached uh, on behalf of Christians. And uh, this was when, way back when the I think they had a movement in America called the Moral Majority, and uh, they were into uh, uh, right to life and different groups of that nature. And they, uh, this gentleman came with four other young men around him and came to meet different pastors in the area. Well, he came to this church. At the end of the service, a couple of our people went out and said, Pastor Ray, there's a gentleman outside. He wants to meet you. And he's, he's that radio guy. And I said, okay. And so he uh, was waiting. He, he didn't come in here, but he waited down at the end of the hall. So I went out to meet him. And I actually didn't know the guy because I, I, I just don't listen to the radio that much. But he was a well-known fella. And he came up to me and he says, are you Pastor Galligan? And I said, yes. And he says, well, I, I, I wish you could go, go back into your sanctuary and let the people know that there's something going on in your area and you need to give their attention to this. And we need to rally the troops and rally these churches and go down and we need to stop the gates of hell. And I said, wow, that's, that's a pretty big... Uh, uh, demand, and what are the gates of hell? He says, well, do you know that between the road, between Jupiter and Beltline, and Jupiter and Beltline, between Shiloh, I mean, and Jupiter, you have an abortion clinic. There's an abortion clinic right in the strip mall between these two streets, and we need your people as well as other churches. We need to go down, and we need to raise the banner, and we need to start picketing these abortion clinics until we shut them down and eliminate the gates of hell and raise the standard of righteousness. I said, well, that's, we're all for, we don't, we believe in the right to life and we believe that God wants us to reach our city. We don't want the slaughter of, un, of the unborn babies. We, uh, we want to stop that. But I said, I, I have a little concern. I, I'm all for the, the mission to see Jesus Christ come as salt and light in the earth, but I'm concerned about your approach. And he was shocked when I said that. How many of you know we may have the same end in mind, but our approach to reaching that end may be different? And he, uh, he said, well, are you not going to come, and aren't you going to go tell your people to, that we need to picket 
those abortion clinics and stop the slaughter of babies. I said, I am all for stopping the slaughter of babies. But I, I wonder if that approach is really going to work. Are we just going to get the people hating us more? Or are we going to get people to really find the Lord? And I'm not interested in just getting the people that embrace abortion. I'm not interested in them, them just hating us because if they hate us, they're not going to hear the message. I believe that people need to experience the love of God. And so I made a suggestion to this gentleman. I said, has any attempt been made to reach out to the doctors or the nurses or the staff of the clinic maybe to take him out to coffee? You should have seen his face drop. He says, I can't believe this. You mean you would want to take this murderer out to coffee? I said, well, Jesus ate and drank with sinners. He, he reached out to them. Well, and then he says this to these four gentlemen that was with him. Come on, guys. I don't think we're going to get any help here. And he turned and got into a van and drove off. And that his, I know that his heart was right because he wants to stop the slaughter. And so is ours. We don't want to see that. But I'd rather win the doctors and the nurses and the staff and see them come to Christ. So it's not, how many of you know you can shut one clinic down by force and that only causes 10 more to spring up in other places? So you can just, just because you chop the head of the weed off doesn't mean you've really dealt with the root problem. You see, my, what Jesus is doing in John chapter 4 is something that is so out of character with the way the Jews in his day dealt with the same thing. Jesus, first of all, when he leaves Judea and goes into uh, Samaria, he's moving and he's taking a transitional shift. He's moving out of the comfort of those who know him and those who like him, actually, actually they didn't for many of them, into a complete foreign area, into the Samaritans, which were a hostile group. They were hostile. These were not nice to the Jews, but the Jews were not nice to the Samaritans without going into the history as I did last uh, week. But there was a superiority. There was a superiority complex among the Samaritans over other nations, different races and groups, simply because they felt as God's chosen people, they were holy and peculiar, and they were a special nation chosen by God. And they actually had a condescending view of other nations. They actually believed they were scum. You were defiled. You're full of sin. You can't at all. You're fortunate to even be on this planet because of us, the Jews. And they kind of carried an air of arrogance and pride. But when Jesus comes into Samaria, the interesting thing about this text is that Jesus does not put on an exhibition of miracles, signs, and wonders. He doesn't turn water into wine. He doesn't feed the 5,000. doesn't cleanse lepers. He doesn't raise the dead. He doesn't do anything like that. In fact, what he does is he comes into this city. He sends his disciples away. And then he comes and sits 
by a well. And as he sits by this well, and by the way, I want you to notice that he's sitting and he's weary and he's tired. Jesus in his humanity, in his weakness, is tired, he's weary, and he's thirsty. And this woman comes and Jesus opens the conversation by saying, can you give me some bottled water? No, he didn't say, can you give me some of your water? You know, I used to read this for years until I really got into the customs and begin to understand what was behind the message. How many of you know that it's important to get behind the words on the, in the Bible? To really understand, because why in the world, in verse 9, does this woman kind of fall apart? And she loses it and really just begins, the floodgates of anger and bitterness and resentment just comes upon Jesus. How can you, being a Jew, even ask of me who is even a woman to give you a drink of water. Now what's happening is when we begin to reach into our culture, get ready for the dam to break. There's going to be some people that might actually say, you know what, you call yourself a Christian? Go to hell. But how many of you know that God didn't call us to react against their reaction? If we are reactionary, then we're not going to reach them. If, our, if we are reactionary because we see what they're doing, then we're not really walking in the power of what, what I call is kingdom dominion. How many of you heard the word kingdom dominion? Number one, if I'm going to reach my city, I need to understand kingdom dominion in my life. Kingdom dominion, by the way, is not casting out demons and healing the sick and raising the dead. That does manifest to some degree in that way, but true kingdom dominion is not what I can do outwardly. But it is what is, what is ruling the inside of my heart and my soul. In other words, kingdom dominion, kingdom authority, is when I am ruled by the love of the Father rather than by the fear of man. Jesus walked in the love of the Father in such a way, the Bible says, God told Adam in Genesis 1, 28, 29, he says, Adam, you're made in my image, and I want you to walk in the dominion, and you're to subdue, and you're to replenish, and be fruitful, and multiply throughout the earth. The extension of the kingdom. Jesus personified the kingdom of heaven and the Father in his life, but it wasn't just through miracles and signs and wonders. It was actually he was demonstrating the kingdom in loving people, in loving and demonstrating that love. And here's the interesting thing. In his state of weakness, Jesus comes in this situation. He knew who he was. He knew who he was. And he walked under the dominion of God's favor, and he walked in the love of God. Do you know that when you're walking in the love of God, you're at rest? When you're walking at the law, in the love of God, you actually see the best in people. Even though they're walking through the worst of sins, you can see, you can declare the best, you see the best, you don't build walls around you. You're not selective with your friends. Well, I like these people, but I don't like these people. See, that is fear. 
The opposite of love is fear. Fear hath torment. Fear builds walls. Fear pushes away. Fear discriminates. Fear says you win, but you don't. Fear says, I like you, but I don't like you. Fear builds walls. Why do we build walls? To protect ourselves. Do you know that it's possible to be a Christian and still not be healthy? And if you're not healthy, you begin to see what people do that may be outside of the box. It might even be out of, it might even stir up your righteous indignation. They're killing babies. They're doing drugs. They're into immorality. They're broken. I remember my wife and I one time, we brought a young man into our home one time. And uh, <clears throat> we're trying to get to know this young man. He was in our house for about nine months. And uh, I noticed he always had his iPad and, and, and his uh, headset on his ears. And so I went up to young Nick and I said, Nick, hey, I'd love to hear what you're listening to. He says, oh, I don't know if you'd like this, Pastor. I said, oh, give me a chance. Well, he said, it's rap music. And uh, so I begin to hear it. And I'll tell you, it was tough to listen to. And uh, now, I'm, now I'm not against, I'm actually not against any style. I, there used to be in Christianity where people used to say, that's bad and godly music. I actually don't believe there's any such thing as bad music. Now, I do believe that there's music that has a bad message, can have a bad spirit behind it. But rap music, let me even say this for some of us, not to get off on music, but even there can be, even be godly heavy metal music. I mean, I know that some of you, that might just, wow, God help us. If you ever bring heavy metal into this church, Pastor Ray, I'm out. Well, I would say if we ever bring country in the church, I'd be out. But, but see, here's the thing. We can't judge people because of different tastes. But, but, I, but here's the thing. When this young man was in our house, I didn't really like listening to rap music. But you know what? I learn to like it. I actually begin to say, I told my wife, I said, Carol, I can't stand what Nick's listening to. And the Holy Spirit said, you know, the message wasn't all that good, but here's the point. It wasn't about winning the argument. It's about winning the man. And sometimes God may ask you, to engage in a connection with purse people that might involve food, music, it might, might, it might involve changing some things to adapt, because you're coming out of Judea, where it's very familiar, into a whole new arena where it's completely different, completely contrary to your taste buds, contrary to your culture, contrary to the way you think, because God wants what you have to reach people that are not being reached. So when Jesus comes into Samaria, he didn't come in there with this big banner and parade, well, we're the Jews and we're here to convert you Samaritans. Repent, go to hell or come with us. That was not the message. Jesus comes, number one, you've got to know who you are and you've got to be at peace with what you have inside. Because when you begin to invade gates hell, the hells of gate, gates of hell, and when you begin to deal with these different groups and these different issues and tastes and 
culture and this. How many of you know the devil will use things like that to just hit you a broadside? Because he wants to shut you down. He wants to shut you up. But Jesus comes into this situation and he's at peace. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. And, and this is beautiful about the love of God. Jesus does not come in waving banners. He walks with complete, true humility. And when he comes, he sits by the well and he says, Woman, give me a drink. Now, why would four words create such a bombshell? Why was that a landmine? Well, when you go back into the history, again, of Judah and Judea, Israel and the Samaritans understood the principle of cutting a covenant. Now, there are four emblems in a covenant, and this is important. There is the terms of the covenant, there are the words of the covenant. There's the sacrifice of the covenant. But the last thing, there was a meal. Everyone say a meal. A meal that was celebrated. But what happened at the meal is they would take the utensils. They would take the bowls and the cups. And when you were coming into a covenant with someone, you actually shared the, the cup. Could I use you just for a minute, to Mark? Now, when, let's just say Mark and I are coming into a covenant, and we've discussed the terms, and we've cut covenant together, and we've made oaths between each other, and we've walked through what they call is the path of blood together, but then we close the covenant out by sharing the same drink and eat. So I would take a drink, and he would take it. You don't have to. Amen. But he would drink out of the same vessel. And the purpose of us drinking was to say, we are united as one. And I honor you and I value you as one. Give Mark a hand. That was great. Awesome. Yeah. You can go to so you can sit down. And so when Jesus said, give me a drink. The Jews did not celebrate that covenant with outsiders, and they did not share the same utensils because it would have been a form of defilement. I will not let, I, my lips will not taste the, the same bowl if you drink out of this cup because then I would be defiled by you. So when Jesus said, give me to drink, what he was saying here is this, is I don't see you as defiled. Because the Samaritans knew the, the Jewish meal and regulations and laws and customs were so strict and oppressive that if the, we even wear the same clothes, if we even touch their utensils and bowls and drinking bowls and their knives and their forks and their cups, they consider us defiling them. And it built such a resentment against the Jews that the Samaritans were bitter against the Jews. But here Jesus comes and he trailblazes new ground. And he comes to this Samaritan woman, by the way, who's an adulteress, who is also a woman who is 
deeply wounded and deeply hurt. And Jesus says, can you give me a drink from your... Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but this is what was required. Can you give me a drink from your water pot? I want to drink out of your water pot. That was huge to that woman. And she, she, it, it opened up this Pandora's box. Why would you want to drink out of my pot? You being a Jew and you look at us like we're defiled and yet you want to drink from my pot and drink the water I draw from? What will it do to you? But you know what? Jesus doesn't even go down that road. You know what he is saying? When Jesus said, give me a drink, what he was saying is that I need you. I value you. I honor you. And you are not defiled. And I am not defiled because we're sharing out of the same water pot. And he now begins to dismantle the lies and the arguments and the pain and the shame that the Jews for centuries had put on other ethnic groups. And the walls are coming down as Jesus begins to take the pot. Because now what they felt for so many years was a separation because of their so-called customs. Everyone say customs. How many of you believe God wants to change some customs in the church? Where the world begins to realize that, wow, we really honor and love people even in their sin and we don't hit them with this concept of being defiled and broken and dysfunctional. But no, I see you as a hidden treasure. You're a gift from God. You're a great blessing in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. Your God is my God and you're made in the image of God and there's a future for you. There's a hope for you and I'm here to let you know that there's no wall between us but it has to start in the church. We can't go out and slap the Bible. You clean up your act first, then you'll be part of our group. God help us. I hate to say it, but I was raised in that environment myself. You clean yourself up, then I'll walk with you. Well, Pastor Ray, now now you're kind of throwing a mixed bag at me. No, I'm not. The purpose of God's grace and goodness is to what? Lead us to repentance. We're not making a road for sin here. What we're doing is we're enabling people through love. What does love do? It casts out fear. Fear casts out torment. When people are delivered from fear, what does it give them the ability to do? To listen. Now they can receive. Jesus doesn't start out preaching the gospel. He doesn't start out doing miracles. What he does is he reaches out to this woman, and what he says is that I want to get into your world. I want to make conversation. Everyone say conversation. We've got to start conversation with people. Just conversation. Do I have conversation? We got some people in our neighborhood just this week. My wife and I reached out to some people in a completely different lifestyle. And you know what we're doing? We're just honoring them. It's about honoring them. Jesus, when Jesus said, give me a drink, from your cup, what he was saying is that I 
want to come into your world and I want you to see how much I'm here to value and honor you and relate to you and let you know there's no walls on my side towards you. That was huge to that woman. And notice how, it, again, it opens up this, this, this can of worms. It opens up her hurt, her pain, all the anger, the division that was between the Samaritans. How can you, being a Jew, have any dealings with the Samaritans? After all, you guys are so perfect. You guys got it all together, and I obviously realize that we don't. That you got it all together. By the way, I want to tell you something. Even though I'm preaching this message, the Holy Spirit really convicted me. I have not totally come to the total victory on this message myself. I'm still a work in progress on this message. You know, it's amazing why God would even ask anybody to preach something they haven't got complete victory themselves on. If you think preachers all have 100% together, they don't. You know, I, I'm up here speaking something that I'm still a work in progress. I don't have it all together on this myself. But the next thing that Jesus begins to do <clears throat> is that his, his intention here <clears throat> was to bring peace and to reach out. And he doesn't, he's not into getting into an argument. He's not interested in winning the war in the argument. He's interested in winning the woman. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want to win you. Amen? I, I want to win you. And, and that, that is so important. Jesus was interested in winning her rather than winning the war. Just to say, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And sometimes we're we get so offended, we react against the reaction. And one of the things that when you're walking in the love of God, there's peace. You can be, see, having dominion, authority, dominion means that the peace of God is ruling inside of me, irregardless of what's happening outside of me. Let me say that again. You're walking in kingdom dominion is when the peace of God rules within, and I'm not threatened by what's happening, happening from without. doesn't matter what relationship you're in. You let the peace of God rule inside. But then notice the next three words that Jesus says in verse 10. Then Jesus said to her, if you knew. Everyone say knew. Now he begins to elevate her thinking. I want to elevate your thoughts from being down here in the basement of negativity, I want to elevate your thinking to understand. That, uh, keep in mind, he's talking to an adulterer. He's talking to a wounded, broken woman. He says, if you knew. Everyone say, elevate. See, when we're walking in the love of God, we always elevate the situation into a place of faith, hope and love. Jesus began to say, you know what? There's a gift I have for you. I want you to think about anybody in your life right now that you could be at war with. Could be in your home, could be in your church, could be on your job. Think about someone. Some, Jesus takes this hostile environment and begins to elevate her thinking. If you only knew there's a gift and there's a relationship I want to build with you. 
That's what Jesus did. Keep in mind, no miracles have happened. Jesus comes across as weak and vulnerable, and that's what we... Do you know why God allows you to be in a dark place? Sometimes God allows us to be in a dark place, and it could be on your job where people are getting promoted around you. People are hitting you on every side and saying things that are just downright nasty. It'll bring the best or it'll bring the worst out of you. I've been through that many times. And I've failed so many times in reacting the wrong way. I have reacted the wrong way. I have not reacted the right way. You say, well, Pastor Ray, why are you preaching to that? Because God uses bad people like me. He uses helpless, hopeless people like me. I'm not up here because of Bible college credentials. The Apostle Paul says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Just say, Pastor Ray. Everyone says, Pastor Ray is foolish. That's why God's using him. God uses the foolish and the weak things to confound the wisdom of men. Does it say he chooses the wise and many mighty and many strong? He uses the weak and the foolish. But here in this case, Jesus comes across as thirsty, tired, and weary, and vulnerable. Everyone say vulnerable. Why does God want me vulnerable? Do you know why? Because it's when I'm at my lowest point, that's where grace and Jesus can begin to work. But he will bring you down to your end so he can begin. So Jesus doesn't come across with this exhibition of power and authority like he did in other places. But he comes to this woman in weakness and vulnerability and and, and he comes to her and he begins to say, if you only knew, I want to elevate your thinking. And this is a hostile woman. He says, I want to elevate. There's a gift and there's a relationship and I have something. Notice what he says, the reason he asked. He says, if you only knew who it was that said, give to me, I would have given back to you. Do you know why God ever asks us anything? Is so he can give something back to us. He never asks anything from you that he's not testing to see if there's faith so he can give it back to you. So what he says right here. And the woman still is missing it. She's not understanding the element of what Jesus, she's thinking in the natural. Jesus is speaking of a living water. Jesus is talking about raising and bringing life to dead things in her own mind, in her own relationship, in her own heart. He says, I'm going to give you living water. Living water has to do with bringing life and bringing power and bringing growth to areas in your life that are dead. And so Jesus begins to elevate her thinking to see the gift by celebrating what he wants to give her. How do I reach people? By celebrating what we can help people with. By the way, you know what we're going to do this afternoon at 3 o'clock? We're celebrating these people at Legend Oaks. We're going to bless them. We're going to sing to them. We're going, and I hope as many of you that can would love to come. It's part of our vision, reaching out different areas and aspects of our community to bless people. There's so many lonely people in these places, people that have children and adult children in our own city, and yet they won't even visit their parents or grandparents. Really kind of a sad situation. But we're here. We can reach them. We're going to touch their lives. We're going to bless them. We're going to let them know that they're a treasure and they're a blessing. We're not going to forget them. So Jesus comes in and he elevates their thinking, their thoughts. And the third thing here we find that as we come on down, 
Jesus begins to talk about the living water. She still doesn't get it, but what he does, and I love this, in verse 15, Jesus sells her on it, and she says, I want what you have. He closes the deal. I hate to use that term. How many of you know closing the deal means that somebody says, I'll buy that? He got her to buy it. He got her to believe in it. And how did he do it? By putting her down, by telling her she's defiled? No, he got her to buy into it because of his kindness, his patience, his willingness to demonstrate that she was a gift and that she's not defiled and that she was valued and important to him. And she says, I want that water. I want that. But when you get people to say, I want what you have, that's a powerful thing. But you know what, Jesus, I I will say this. I hate to use it as a point, but he throws her a curveball. He says, go get your husband. Now, why in the world would he say that? Jesus, you're doing great. Showing all this love and kindness and living water. You got her to say, and she, he closes the deal and she says, I want that water. And then, she, then he has to talk about what's going on at home. I mean, why, why do we got to talk about what's going on at home? Just, just leave the home and the family out of it. No, well, go, go get your husband. How many of you following me here? Staying with me? Go get your husband. This is the timing. I want you everyone say timing. Timing is everything. Understanding the timing, understanding the place, understanding the process. Jesus didn't just come out of the gate and say, you need to repent for you're going to hell, you adulterous woman, you lying, cheating, defiled dog, you. Because that's the way the Jews saw Samaritans. They're just dogs. But Jesus comes and elevates respect, value, and honor. And then he says, go get your husband. Here's the reason. Do you know that you can never get anybody to drink or receive anything until you deal with the shame and the pain and the anger and the issues of life? Because what will happen is you can get people that will hear truth, but they will never digest and receive it for themselves. There's a lot of people today filled with the knowledge of God's word in their head but they've never really trusted the Lord with their addiction. They haven't really trusted the Lord with secret sin or secret problems or weaknesses. Jesus didn't bring this up to discourage or to confront her necessarily, to condemn her. What he wanted her to know was this, is that until we deal with the issue of things that you're hiding, you're never going to truly drink and receive what I have for you. Because if you can't receive and understand that you cannot ever drink until you are completely open with the Lord about things that you are hiding, it will block your ability to be transformed and changed. So will you release and let go of the thing you're hiding and holding on to that is really shaping the pain and shaping the way you think. 
So Jesus, I want you to go get your husband. She begins to make excuses because of the shame and the pain. But Jesus is trying to draw that shame and that darkness out of her so she would come to listen to me. Listen to me. So she would come to know I'm comfortable. I'm okay with what you're sharing with me and it doesn't shock me and I'm still greater than your sin. My love towards you is still greater than any problem you have, but I need you to confess it so I can heal it. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to mark you. I'm not going to reject you, but you're free to know that I love you in spite of what you have going on in your life. That's critical. And so what does she do? She turns out to be the citywide evangelist. This woman has a citywide evangelistic thrust. She goes back and she starts telling everybody in the city, guess what? This woman's testimony. Lust, listen to me, guys. I've got everybody. I want everybody to this. I found a man who told me everything that I've ever done. And guess what? He still loves me. He still accepts me. And he still wants to give a gift to me. He still, he believes the, the, the message so transformed the men of the city. They run out and they find out that Jesus is who he is. In fact, the Bible says in verse 40 that they entreated him or urged him to stay there two more days. Two more days. They liked Jesus so much. By the way, do you know that not one miracle was done? There was no signs, wonders, no feeding, no lepers were hit, cleansed, no eyes were open, no ears were, everything. All Jesus did was show kindness. He showed love. And as a result of that, the Bible says that many more believed. And when they saw the woman, they said, now we believe not because of what you have said, for we have heard him and we know. Everyone say, we know. Not enough to hear, but now we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Three things in closing. I know my time's gone. Three things I wanted to close with. We need to learn to recognize how to reach the world and treat them like a treasure instead of just being cut off. We need to value and treasure people that are different. Number two. We need to change our approach before we can change the world. Have to change our approach. Amen? People really do hear what you say. They hear how you say it. <clears throat> and the last thing is this. Your weakness and your vulnerability and even your testimony was not intended to shut you down. Some of you may say, there's things in my life I'm so embarrassed I'm ashamed of. I would never share it with anybody. Do you know that you're actually closing the door on God's grace to use you to reach people that may be in the same area of bondage you are or even worse? The devil wants you to be blinded by your own shame and pain where you shut your mouth and yet God wants to use your weaknesses in a place where you're vulnerable because it's in your vulnerability that God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit is able to reach people. It's not, it's not done by principles. It's done by the testimony, the word of your testimony. Amen.
Amen. How many of you got anything today on this? But I believe God wants us to reach our world and our culture. But you know what? It starts at home. It starts here. I need to ask myself, <clears throat> do I elevate the conversation? Am I entering into conversation? Am I asking the Lord to help me to live by grace instead of being defensive and afraid and insecure? Am I entering into conversation or am I shutting conversation down? Am I coming with a healthy approach as Jesus would, even with the Samaritan? Because this is the superiority, the religious kind of approach. And yet Jesus dismantled that argument by letting her know, I can drink from your pot because I'm not defiled. It's not what is outside a man that defiles him, but what proceeds out of the man's mouth and out of his heart that defiles a man. So Jesus was extending grace and extending value to a very broken individual, even though she's in a different culture, a different time, different season of her life. This morning, I just pray right now. If I can, can you just lay your hand on your heart this morning? I want us just to ask the Lord to baptize us with a fresh baptism of, of his love in our lives. Because we have a very, very dysfunctional community. We need to be healed as, as church members, <clears throat> as Christians, so we can see the beauty that's in people around us and not just see the stain, not see the defilement, but help us to see them as Jesus sees them. Father, we lean on you today. We're all broken. All of us, Lord, we come to you, even in weakness. We come to you, Lord, in the shattered, shatteredness of our own life. We're baptized us afresh with the Holy Spirit. Renew our vision. Help us to make that kingdom shift, that transitional shift from our own logic, our own understanding into the realm of the dimension of the kingdom of your Son, where we... See, as the Father said, for God so loved the world that he gave. But who should ever believeth on him should not be condemned, but have everlasting life. Lord, help us not to condemn or to demoralize or distract, but Lord, help us to walk as you walk in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you stand to your feet this morning. <clears throat> Amen. We're going to continue on this series next Sunday on cultural change. I want to just say if any of you would like to go with us to the Legend Oaks this uh, afternoon at 3, if you could come down and just meet us for a few minutes, I'd like to share some things to those who are interested in going. If you can't, we completely understand. Go in the power of God's presence. Let's expect great things this week. Amen. Have a great day. Uh, holiday weekend as well. If any of you like prayer, we'd love to pray with you as well. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.